We so often, especially behind product-based businesses, can be like, okay, I've got this beautiful product. I'm going to photograph it beautifully. I'm never going to show the person behind the brand and I'm just going to hope that it sells. And sometimes, yes, it does. But you can grow so much more when there is humanity behind a business, when people see what's actually happening. I think, of course, she's a friend of mine, but outside of that, I think Sage and Claire do this incredibly well. The tone of voice, the humor, the realness that comes through on their social media channels, through their emails is really honest and real. And you and you get a sense of like, there's actually people behind this brand. Do you love your business? You should, right? Well, sometimes we just don't. It's my hope that this, the My Daily Business Coach podcast, helps you regain a little of that lost love by providing tips and tactics, tools, insights, inspiration, all the good stuff to help you actually enjoy running your business. In addition to actionable tips and tactics that you'll be able to execute immediately, you'll also hear from creative small business owners around the world who've been able to sidestep the hustle and build a business that merges their passion with their purpose and provides a profit. I'm your host, Fiona Kalaki, founder of My Daily Business Coach. Let's get going. Hello and welcome to episode 220. Oh my goodness, I can't believe we're here already. 220 episodes. Wow. Oh my gosh, that has gone so fast. If you are listening to this and you're like, I would love to start a podcast, please just start. And if you need help, we have a course, How to Start a Podcast. It's really aptly named. And you can find that at mydailybusinesscoach.com forward slash shop. But today you are listening to a coaching episode and it's kind of a run on from the last tip episode, which was really about conversion rate optimization and how you can, you know, get people to take action, whether that's buying something like converting into a sale, whether it's converting onto a, you know, consult call, whether it's converting to download a freebie or, you know, converting to following you or all sorts of things. So you don't have to have listened to that episode, but if you have, then we're going to go a bit deeper in that today. So today's episode is really a coaching episode on, you know, how you're kind of leaving money on the table and not just money in terms of, you know, actual cash, but money in terms of people loving your brand, trusting you, getting to know you, the whole post-purchase kind of advocacy part of the buyer cycle. So we'll get stuck into that in a second. If you need to go and, you know, grab a notebook, if you want to take notes, of course, you'll find the show notes for this episode at mydailybusinesscoach.com forward slash podcast forward slash 220. We have all the show notes for all our podcast episodes just at mydailybusinesscoach.com forward slash podcast. You can find them there if you prefer to read things in text format. But before we get stuck into that, of course, I want to acknowledge the traditional owners and custodians on the land on which I record and play and live and have my business. And that is out in North Warrandyte, and that is the Wurundjeri and Warong people of the Kulin Nation. And I pay my respects to their elders, past, present and emerging, and acknowledge that sovereignty has never been ceded. All right. So are you leaving money on the table? Let's find out. All right. So last episode, which was on Tuesday, if you're listening in real time, like I said, you don't have to go back because I will explain part of what I covered in that episode. But if you listen to that episode or any, (laughs) a lot of the episodes that I've already done on this podcast, you will know that I often use a framework called the buyer cycle. When I'm talking about money, when I'm talking about anything in your business, marketing, values, 
all of it can be kind of worked into the biocycle. So if you haven't heard of the biocycle, basically it is five stages, it's five slash six, but it's five key stages that anyone will work through if they are going to transact with your business and not just transact financially, but if they're referring people to you. And I like to think of it as a cycle. A lot of people use a sales funnel. I just don't like that concept of like, get them all in and then spit them out at the bottom. And it's kind of like, where do they go then? What's your relationship then? I like a cycle because it keeps going. And so you start off with awareness, you know, let's say I am, let's, let's use an example of my real life right now. Let's say I have back pain and I'm like, oh my gosh, I probably need a physio. And so I'm aware of the problem and I need to become aware of your physio brand or your company. And so I might ask around. And so that's exactly what I did. I see the physio that my mum used to see, my husband sees, he is awesome. And so I, you know, at the time got a referral from my mum. And so she had said, oh, you should go and see this guy, Grant. He's amazing. So I booked in with him. Then I became aware that where he works even exists. So the first point is awareness. The second point is research. So then I went and had a look. I looked online. I had a look at their website. I think I first started using him before social media or maybe it was, yeah. So the next thing is a lot of people will in that research stage also use social media, but I didn't. I just had a look at the website. I asked, so you're kind of in the research stage. This is where SEO is really important. It's really, I mean, it's important in all areas, but this is also where, you know, having really clear bios on your social media profiles, having a really clear tagline on your website, you know, getting people to understand what it is, is really important. So you go from awareness to research. The next stage, which is one of the most crucial and people do not invest enough time into it, is evaluation. So evaluating if they are the right fit. So let's use this physio example again. My mum said he's great. So I'm aware that he exists. I go and have a look. The website looks like, you know, a legit company. And then I'm in evaluation. So evaluation can be all sorts of things. It can be things like, are there reviews in terms of say health, allied health providers? This is kind of probably not a great thing to say, but you know, it is also how do they come across in their photos? Do they look like a nice person? You know, in terms of physio, it's somebody touching your body. And for some people that can be, you know, something that they don't want to happen. For others, they're totally fine with it. And so you may look at like, okay, how old are they? Do they look experienced? Do they know what they're doing? What qualifications do they have? I know I've talked before about working with a psychology firm and getting the psychologist to do videos because, you know, it's still really, you know, a stigma here in Australia to see a psychologist. And so most people search for that by themselves. So in that evaluation stage, seeing a video of what the psychologist is like, getting a feel for like, what's their voice like? How do they come across? Are they like, do they look like somebody I could tell all my secrets to? That is really important in the evaluation stage. Also an evaluation, and definitely this is part of my evaluation of the physio that I chose, is proximity. You know, how close are they? How many appointments do they have? When are they available? How much do they charge? Do they integrate with my private health insurance? All of these things, if you know them, put them on, you know, put them on your website. So often we expect the customer or the client or the audience to to understand that stuff without us really laying it out there really clearly. So if you can get somebody through the point of evaluation, they are like, take my money. You know, they are really, they're ripe. And yet we don't look at evaluation marketing. We don't look at like, what are we saying on our website? What are we doing? What, what does our emails look like? We know if somebody contacts us, like if, if they're evaluating, if you're the right fit, 
oh my goodness, if you can get them through that, the next stage is purchase. And that is just all about how to make it as easy as possible for somebody to buy something from you or to fill in a form or to do whatever it is that gets them into the purchase stage. And so you have, you know, evaluation, then you have purchase. And the purchase is really, I mean, small things. I see it all the time where people have an add to cart button below the fold. So I have to scroll down your website in order to to add something to cart. Sometimes I literally just cannot see where I add something to cart. So your add to cart button should always be very visible. If it's, you know, fill in this form and apply or whatever the, whatever the mode of purchasing or transacting with you is, needs to be very clear, very simple. There is a user experience Bible. I've mentioned it quite a few times. It's called Don't Make Me Think. And the whole concept is when you are getting somebody on your website and you want them to, you know, fulfill a purchase or go through a particular goal in mind, whether that's downloading a freebie or whatever else, you don't want them to think. And so things in the purchase stage, like having an add to cart button, that is really clear. Having, you know, other things that make it really, really simple for people to purchase, you know, not having like, I don't know, no way of contacting you. Oh my goodness. I've worked with a number of people in kind of landscaping and one in particular, I remember he had come to me and he had spent tens of thousands of dollars with an SEO agency. And, you know, I felt really bad for him, but I said to him, you know, that's great. Like they got you on page one. Awesome. However, your website doesn't work. So it's similar to, you know, getting all these people through to a store that has nothing to, or, you know, has no sales assistant in it or has nothing to buy. He had not optimized his website. And so that huge amount of money that he'd spent with an agency that had had done their job, you know, to a, to a point, hadn't been, you know, fully exploited because he had no phone number on his website. He had no way of contacting him. It was very hard to look around that website and find out, well, how do I get in touch? And so even through the gallery, through beautiful, you know, beautiful folio of his work, it wasn't easy for anyone to go, okay, well, I really love it. How do I get in touch with you? And so that purchase, that path to purchase has to be really simple, easy, you know, automated if it needs to be, whatever it needs to be, that path to purchase needs to be simple. So you've got awareness, then they've researched you, then they've evaluated you're the right fit, and then the purchase. And so, you know, say in the physio, (laughs) it was simply call them, you know, I looked them up on my phone, called them, got an appointment instantly with the person that I wanted. You could also go online and just click the practitioner and then find the appointments and click and it was done. Put in your credit card details, you put in your health number, like it was all done, done, done. So very, very easy to purchase. And that's what you want. And then the last stage in the buyer cycle is post-purchase. And if that's done well, it becomes advocacy, which is why I said there's like five slash six. So you've got awareness, research, evaluation, purchase, and then post-purchase. And the post-purchase is really like crucial. And when we're talking about today, you know, how, where are you leaving money on the table? This is by far the biggest area where people leave money on the table all the time. Like I cannot reiterate it enough. You need to have a post-purchase strategy. So post-purchase is anyone who has worked with you coming back or referring other people who then, you know, then they become an advocate for the brand. And then those new people start the whole cycle again. Now they're aware of you. So actually perfect example. So when my back first flared up and I've never had back problems in my life. So I was like, what the hell is going on? I, you know, was talking to my GP and talking to the neurosurgeon and they were like, you know, even after all this treatment, you'll need to go into clinical Pilates. And so I messaged my book club, who are a group of women in my local area. And I said, does anyone do clinical Pilates like in this local one near us? 
And oh my God, I got a flood of messages. I did not know how many women out there are dealing with back pain. I'm sure a lot of men are as well, but a lot of women are dealing with it because of the lack of care on themselves after having children. So the lack of core work, other things. So anyway, the post-purchase stage really worked well because those, all of those messages I had, those people in my book club were advocates for the Pilates places they'd been going or the, you know, clinical places they'd been going that had helped their backs. So one, I was shocked at how many, like every single person seemed to have a back problem in the book club. And I was like, what, is this like a thing that I just didn't know? And now I'm bloody part of this club that I did not want to be part of. But that really shows you the power of post-purchase and advocacy. And so part of post-purchase might just be keeping yourself relevant, keeping yourself front of mind. And so that is where things like social media can really help. But more importantly, it's things like reaching out, nurturing those relationships. So say you're an interior designer and you've just worked with, let's say, a person who has completely redone their house. And so they've spent tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of dollars on a complete renovation. They've worked with you. Chances are they're not going to just do that again in like a couple of months. So you might be thinking, well, that's all very well for like product-based businesses where people can buy the same thing over and over. But in my business, you know, people don't work with me again, you know, for years because they bought the house, they've renovated, and now they're happy and they're in the house. However, they may well have a whole bunch of people that they could refer work to you. But if you're not staying front of mind, if you're not doing anything in the post-purchase kind of area of your marketing, then it's sort of like, cool, you did the job, great, you know, goodbye. And I often say that, you know, so much of people's marketing ends like a one night stand. You get the purchase and you do the work and you say goodbye and you never hear from them again. Whereas the power is in the post-purchase. So in that post-purchase, it might be, you know, yes, you worked with somebody on their interior design project, but you might come back every six months and just do a kind of freshen up of the house, see how they're feeling. What are they into? Maybe they want some things changed. Maybe their lifestyle has changed in that six months. Maybe somebody's working from home more or less or whatever it is. And so keeping yourself front of mind and be like, hey, I've got some check-in sessions available and booking people in for the end of the year before Christmas. Did you want me to come and we can just do like a quick, you know, consult or we can do X, Y, Z. You're keeping yourself front of mind in a product-based business. And I see this all the time. People leave money on the table so often. And the thing is, if you sell products and if you sell things, particularly like impulse buys or things like sub $100, you are missing out if you have not set up automated SKU specific email sequences. So what I mean by that is, let's say you sell, I'm literally looking at my desk. Let's say you sell hand cream because I really need to get my nails stronger. <laughs> so I've got some hand cream in front of me and I'm guessing that if I use this particular hand cream every night and every day, like every morning, every night, it would probably last me, I'm going to say a month, maybe two months. I'm not sure. Maybe I'm like really generous with how much I put on my hands. Anyway, let's say you sell that as a product. Post-purchase could be, you know, this is our best-selling hand cream and we find that most people need, you know, go through a tube of it in two months. So we might set up a SKU-specific email for every three months or every two months after they've bought it. So from the date of purchase, 60 days later, they get another email saying, hey, how are your hands feeling? We hope you've loved it. We know that a lot of people use this daily and they tend to run out around this time. So we just wanted to make it really simple for you to order again. That is an example of a post-purchase email where you could potentially be getting a whole lot of money 
from people who've already worked with you or bought from you. So there's a statistic out there that it's six to seven times harder to get a new customer or client than to retain somebody and get them to buy again when they've already worked with you and had a good experience. So I have mentioned it this month like so many times. I really wish somebody would like tell them at GoTo. So GoTo Skincare, amazing, amazing brand. I mean, that woman can do no wrong. I know that she actually sold, I think she sold like a controlling steak recently. And so Zoe Foster Blake is who I'm talking about. So they have this, it's called Properly Clean. Oh my God, this sounds like an ad. It's really not. I have used their Properly Clean face wash since that company began. I don't know how long they've been going, maybe like six years, seven years. I'm not really sure. And so I've used it and I can say that it pretty much runs out on the dot of three months. Now, go-to skincare is amazing. However, I think they've only recently maybe just got into like Mecca or another actual physical store. And so prior to that, you have to go onto their online store and buy it. And then it takes a couple of weeks to arrive. The amount of times I have been ordering another bottle and then my kid will interrupt me and I'll forget and leave it in the cart. And sometimes, yes, I get an abandoned cart email from them. Those things also work really well in the kind of post-purchase area and purchase kind of part of the buyer cycle. But if there was a subscription office op- option for that particular face wash, or if there was a SKU specific email sequence so that every three months after I buy it, I get another email reminding me to buy it, I would do it. I would be opting in and they would not have to be pushing anything to me. They're not putting the onus on the customer to remember to come back because what happens, and this has actually happened in real life, is that I've run out and I've just gone, you know, what? I'll just buy something from like Safeway or Woolworths or whatever it's called because I just need something now versus if I knew it was coming and if they, if they even, if they looked and tracked my record, they would be like, oh my goodness, she literally buys it at two and a half months later every time. So why don't we set up a specific SKU? So if you sell products, any kind of product and you have some bestsellers or you have things that you definitely know sell really well and have a use by date, then I would definitely be setting up email specific SKUs that are automated. So it's X amount of time after they've bought it, they get a reminder. And yes, not every single person is going to opt in, but a whole bunch might. And if you have those things just automatically dynamically happening behind the scenes, that's a whole lot of money that you're not necessarily putting a huge amount of marketing effort into creating. Yes, it's annoying to like create it upfront once and you may need to test it. Maybe people need four months or one month or whatever the duration might be shorter or longer. However, once it's set up, it just sells itself. So That is an example of kind of where you might be leaving money in the post-purchase advocacy area. The other thing will be when you create, say you're in the service-based business and you create new offerings, you want to tell your past clients, you might be like, oh, but they already worked with me. Yes, they worked with you, but business is always changing or, you know, things are always changing. So say you're a photographer and you are now creating different packages. So you, I don't know, maybe you've got a junior photographer that's working with you and you're creating a kind of more social media package. So you go out and you take like, 100 photos or 60 photos or whatever. And so you've got that and you want to start marketing that. So often what we do is we start with awareness again. We start with like people who don't know us. We push it out on social media. We hope for the best rather than looking at that package and going, you know what, this would be really great for some of my clients that I've done their campaign shoots for before. And I'm going to go back to them first. Hey, I'm bringing out this new thing. I think you'd love to know about it. And so that's another example of where we too often start of the buyer cycle. Again, trying to get awareness, trying to drive up, you know, oh my gosh, we've got this new thing. Isn't it exciting? Instead of going to the people who already bought from us, who already had a great experience and offering it to them first, you might offer it to them 
at a discounted rate first. You might offer it to them in some sort of way that makes it more personal. And so, or a gift with purchase or an event or, or anything else that they might be able to kind of add value to if they opt in first. So there are so many examples of the post-purchase marketing and what people can do in that space. So today, you know, obviously I'm talking about where are you leaving money on the table? The other big thing, and this is sort of following on from last Tuesday's episode, is conversion rate optimization. And so I want to go into, again, what that is and a couple of examples of how you can actually get people to convert. So, and this is really a lot in the valuation stage and in the path to purchase, like I've talked about that area is so important. And one of the biggest kind of metrics that you can use to measure if that area is working or not is conversion rate optimization. So as I said in the episode last Tuesday, like conversion CRO is, it's also known as, is conversion rate optimization. And really it's the process of amending or tweaking or kind of fixing or (laughs) working on your website or your content or any part of the purchase to make it more inclined that people will convert from existing traffic. So it's not necessarily about growing your traffic or growing the amount of people that come to your website. It's really about converting the people that are already there. And so if you don't already know, you should definitely try and figure out what your conversion rate is currently. So, because you want to optimize that and you don't know if you're going to optimize it or not, if you don't know where you're starting from. So conversion rates really differ across different industries, but you know, you can have a look, you can Google or Ecosia or use any kind of search engine to find the standard conversion rate that's good or bad in your industry and see where you sit. However, also keep in mind, it is your particular business and it may be very different to the industry standard in inverted commas. So what you want to do is firstly understand what is my current conversion rate? And you might decide that on particular categories or areas of your business, or you might decide it on every single product if you only have like four or five, or you might decide on different pages, like what you what you have a goal of that page on the website and then how many people are converting to that goal. And so there are lots of different ways to set this up. If you have Google Analytics, you can easily look in Google Analytics for conversion rates. And one way that you can kind of set this up is to set up goals. And we'll link to a YouTube video in the show notes that's really simple on how to set up goals within Google Analytics. So a goal is really somebody comes to this page, they do this, they do this, they do this, or, you know, maybe it's only two things that they do. It could be eight things that they do. And if they do all of them, then they've hit the goal and you can have a conversion rate according to that goal. You also will have conversion rates, particularly if you sell, you know, actual products on each product as well. So how how much is this converting? And there'll be different things that you can do to to help that conversion rate. So an example might be, let's say you sell, let's say you sell this hand cream, like I'm I'm looking at. No, actually, let's say you sell something else that people would wear. Let's say you sell headbands. And so you sell these headbands and you have like a beautiful model and they're looking great. And then you might you might have like, let's say you have a conversion rate of like 2%. So for every hundred people that come to your site, two are buying whatever the headband is. And so you might be like, okay, I'm leaving money on the table because we're actually getting a whole lot of traffic, but our conversion rate is very low. Now, 2% is not really low, but I'm just saying that for the example, you might have like, you might be like, oh, it's really low. We want to actually get that conversion rate up. So we want to see like out of hundred, we want to see like four buy it. So we want to double, like imagine just doubling it. This is where conversion rate optimization can do so much for you. And this whole episode is really about, you know, where are you leaving money on the table? If you're not looking at your conversion rate and you're not trying to optimize it, you are definitely leaving money on the table. So let's say in that case of the headband, you have a 2% conversion rate. You might decide, you know what, we're going to really up 
the ante. We're going to, we're going to do like style advice. We're going to have like videos. The videos that we have on Instagram need to be also on our product detail pages on our actual website. This is another mistake that I see people do all the time. They have all these great reels and everything else. And they're, they're kind of pandering to the Instagram algorithm as opposed to then, okay, cool. That's great. But take that video and also repurpose it on your actual website. So let's say you have a headband page and instead of just having the model, you have asked for user generated content. So you've asked people to show you how they style the headband. And so you might use user generated content on your site, making sure that you've got permission. And you may also have like a couple of tutorial videos, like did you know that you can wear it this way? Did you know that you can wear it backwards? Did you know that, I don't know, these add-ons that we, you can just put them on with Velcro, I don't know. And so you've now doing a lot more marketing on that page. You might put testimonials, you might put a bit more information about it. And you want to see if that conversion rate increases because you are now really spending money on your evaluation marketing on the actual product page. So to come right back, you first want to figure out what is your conversion rate because then you want to optimize it. And so, like I said, you can create all sorts of things on your product detail page. You can create better content. You can really ask your audience, like, what do they want to know? You could create abandoned cart emails that also have a question as to if you're not going to buy, why aren't you going to buy? I know abandoned cart emails can be an additional cost depending on what platform you're using, but they really do work, which is why people have them as long as the content is engaging and there is a reason to buy. And, you know, so often people have like an incentive. I don't think you always need like a financial voucher or anything to get people to buy on an abandoned cart. But if you are really focusing in on, okay, where are we leaving money on the table? We've got this great traffic. What can we do at the point of evaluation to purchase that is going to help increase that conversion rate? So like I said, it could be better content. It could be video content. It could be testimonials. It could be better descriptions. It could be using keywords. It could be using, I don't know, influencers. All sorts of things can really help people at that point. And you want to also remember this, especially if you have a physical based shop or something else, you know, your website needs to do the same work as your sales assistants do. And so if you've got this amazing story and you've got such fantastic, fun people, how do you bring that to life on a website. And so one of the ways might be a video with some of your salespeople and being like, oh my God, you have to buy this headband. Let me show you how I styled it in three different ways. And they could show, you know, the fashion, maybe they dressed it up, maybe they dressed it down, maybe they wore it to a funeral, maybe they wore it to like a three-year-old's birthday party. It can, it's so versatile. And so you're showing the same information that you would have in store online. And you are trying to do that in order to, you know, better educate the customer, making them feel confident in order to buy, but also increase that conversion rate. So that's an example of conversion rate optimization and what you could do to really not leave that money on the table. Another thing here, and this can be quite confronting, is you may do all of this stuff, put visual content, put content, other things, and still have a low conversion rate. And so what you want to do then is really assess is the content that we've written the right content? Like, is it is it funny for us, but it's actually like annoying or patronizing for, for the person reading it? You know, what else could you do? And this is where you might get a copywriter. You might work with somebody. If you are thinking, I'm not actually that great at writing. It could also be things like, am I actually telling the story behind why I designed something? I buy a lot of earrings. I am like an earring queen. I have so many earrings and I just, I, they're just like, it's like a vice. I can't stop. However, I have also seen so many sites that have these beautiful earrings in really different designs and they don't say anything about the design. Like they don't say, 
you know, I decided to use mustard in this because I was looking at a sunset one night and I just love the colors and the, you know, I just think it's a happy color or whatever you want to do. So that's another part of the conversion rate optimization is to look at the whole process. Like, is it easy for people to find the add to cart button? Is it easy for people to see how to wear it or, you know, style it or whatever? Can people see that it's got social proof? It's got testimonials, but also are we telling the story? Are we making this engaging for the customer who's buying it? And also things like, you know, if you're ethical supply chain, if there's other things that you think your audience is really into, they should also be at the point to put, that's part of your evaluation marketing. So they should really be there at the path to purchase. So like I said, this whole episode is really about where you're leaving money on the table. We've talked about post-purchase and kind of advocacy stuff. We've talked about CRO and you know conversion rate optimization. I also wanted to mention some other things that can help. So one of them is ATV. It's called average transaction value. And that is really about getting the amount of money that people spend up. And so that can be things like free shipping over a certain amount of money. It could be bundling stuff. It could be, you know, limited edition things that are just, you know, just coming on right now. And it doesn't have to even be a limited edition product. It could be a limited edition packaging. It could be a limited edition, like gift with purchase. So GWP. So a gift with purchase is sometimes where say you might do a collaboration. So let's go back to the hand cream. I might do a collaboration for a month with a nail polish company. So I might be like, you know what, you get the hand cream, but you also get this limited edition nail polish. Maybe I've even collaborated on it on the color or something. And so that's for a month. And so you're getting people to up what they would normally spend to be able to get this bundle or the gift with purchase if they spend within a certain month or if they buy, you know, the bigger product that's more expensive or whatever it is. And so there's all sorts of ways to increase your ATV, your average transaction value. And we don't look at that enough as well. So say, for instance, if you sell towels, you know, are you bundling them? If I'm going to buy, you know, the big towel and the small towel, could I create a bundle that, you know, people have the perception that it's saving them money. And so they're actually spending more than they would if they didn't have the bundle available. And then another acronym to throw into the mix when we're talking about leaving money on the table is FOP, and that is frequency of purchase. And this really goes really well with the whole, you know, post-purchase advocacy, what I was talking about, go-to skincare, the frequency of purchase. So if I got an email every, let's say every two months from go-to skincare being like, Fiona, it's time to, you know, buy your bottle of properly clean. I'm telling you, like, I like this product and I'm not trying to advertise it, but I like it. I've used it for years. And so it doesn't sting my eyes. A lot of them sting my eyes anyway. And if I got that, I would literally buy it. I would click on that and I would buy it every second month. So they would have six times that I'm buying from them. I can probably say that I probably buy four times at the moment because I forget to buy it. And like I said, you know, I'll just go and buy something from the supermarket or I'll buy something from some other like beauty store or Priceline or whatever to wash my face because I need face wash. And so I'll buy something, but I'm not buying from them. So if they could increase, so the FOP frequency of purchase, if they could increase me from four to six times, and then they did that on a huge scale. I mean, they're a huge business. So if they did that on a massive scale because they had these automated sequences, the frequency of purchase would increase hugely. So it's not about necessarily growing your audience. It's about taking the audience you already have and getting them to come back more often. 
So yeah, if anyone knows Zoe Foster Blake, please, or the marketing team there, please let them know. I love their stuff and I'm happy to come in and give them some ideas about their email sequences. They do an amazing job. They don't need any help. But anyway, just putting it out there. So frequency of purchase is another big thing to focus on if you're like, where am I leaving money on the table? Frequency of purchase. Am I inviting people to come back again and again and again and again? The other thing here and kind of finishing up in this whole chat is really to be real, to be real. You know, we so often, especially behind product-based businesses can be like, okay, I've got this beautiful product. I'm going to photograph it beautifully. I'm never going to show the person behind the brand and I'm just going to hope that it sells. And sometimes, yes, it does, but you can grow so much more when there is humanity behind a business, when people see what's actually happening. I think, of course, she's a friend of mine, but outside of that, I think Sage and Claire do this incredibly well. The tone of voice, the humor, the realness that comes through on their social media channels, through their emails is really honest and real. And you and you get a sense of like, there's actually people behind this brand. Likewise, another brand that does it really well, another client is Radical Yes. Karen and Leo do a fantastic job with their team at just making things real and human and like, hey, we're bringing out this boot. What do you need to know? Da, da, da. And they do some really great video content. So if you are wondering like, oh, I need some examples of how this works, definitely check out Sage and Claire. Definitely check out Radical Yes. Another one in the US who I think does this really, really well is Melody Asani. I'm just like, she's just incredible at everything she does, but really keeps it real. She has a lot of humanity in her, in everything she puts out from the cards that you get when you order her products through to her handwriting on the sticky tape. I mean, there's all these elements of her in her work. Another brand that does this really well that I think is just so real and normal and down to earth and still aspirational and inspiring is Mustard. So Becca and Jess do such a good job of bringing things out and showing you products and showing you, you know, all the details, all the colors, but doing so in a really human way. And the way they talk about things, even they sent out an email recently talking about prices going up and why, and it was so real and normal and human. And I think that is something that we don't touch on enough when you're thinking about, you know, all of these brands do it because it's just part of their brand. But secondary, you know, you are keeping people nurtured. You are keeping people excited and engaged with your brand and therefore more likely to spread the word just like I'm doing and getting more sales because you're getting more people into the awareness and more people going through the whole cycle. But you're also engaging and keeping that post-purchase advocacy stage happening as well. So really think about how am I humanizing my business? Because if you're not doing that, if people don't feel like a real connection, quite often they'll just use like a rational driver like price to make a different, you know, to make a point of, oh, I'm not going to support this anymore. I just, you know, this one's cheaper, for example. But if they're if they really feel a human connection with your brand, more likely they will happily buy something, even if it is more expensive, because there's an actual connection there. So make sure you've got humanity in your brand. Also make sure that you are staying in touch with people. That is part of being human. If we have friends, you know, we don't just ignore them for years on end. Well, maybe we do if we're like trying to get rid of them. But honestly, most people, good friendship, you treat your audience and your clients and your customers like that. Not your besties where they need to know every single thing that's going wrong in your life, but to a point where there is a connection, there is realness, there is humanity, there is a want to connect and stay in touch. So all of those things, the buyer cycle, the evaluation stage, purchase, post-purchase, advocacy, 
CRO, conversion rate optimization, ATV, average transaction value, FOP, <laughs> frequency of purchase, all the acronyms, plus being human. All of those things, if you have the effort and time to work on them and make them part of your overall strategy, will help you take that money off the table, put it into your bank account, put it into your shares, put it into hiring somebody, whatever it is, but don't leave money on the table when there are so many ways to take it off that table. All right. Thank you so much for listening. If you found this useful, I would love, 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 love if you could leave a review. You can do that on Apple or Spotify. It just really helps us get found by other small business owners. I read every single one. I'm so in awe of every single one. We get a lot of DMs about the podcast, which I love, love, love. I love hearing from you, but I also would love if you are getting a lot from this podcast that you might take a few minutes or even like 30 seconds to leave a review for us. It just really, really helps. So that is it for today's episode. If you want to check out the links and everything I've talked about, you can find that over at mydailybusinesscoach.com forward slash podcast forward slash 220. And if you found this useful, you may well find group coaching useful. So that's really where I work with you alongside some amazing small business owners in a group. We meet every two weeks for a whole year. We go through all the parts of business and we have amazing experts to come in and help us as well. So I just wanted to put that out there. We are getting people to apply at the moment. We will start in August. It will not be open again this year. And you can find everything you need to know at mydailybusinesscoach.com forward slash group coaching. If you have any questions, you can just email us hello at my businesscoach.com. You can jump on a phone call with me. You can send me a DM at my daily business coach, but yeah, we are starting to interview people and it's just going to be such a beautiful group. I can already tell. So if you want to be part of that, please, please get your applications in as soon as possible over at my daily forward slash group coaching. Thank you so much for listening. I'll see you next time. Bye. Thanks for listening to the my daily business coach podcast. If you want to get in touch, you can do that at my daily or hit me up on Instagram at my daily business coach. 